Um, for those of you who are new here or um, maybe you've forgotten, I'm glad you're here. We are about to start a new series this week that delivers on a promise that I made and broke last year. Now, I didn't break the promise on purpose. Uh, we did the longest series I've ever done in January and February of last year, and it got uh, it was getting extended. And I realized, man, we could keep going, but we we gotta we gotta keep uh, moving on to some other stuff. I don't want people to get bored with this, but I promised everybody that we would pick this back up, and we would do this again in the summer. And then COVID hit, and everything spun out of control, and and we didn't get there. But we're going back there um, for the month of January. In the next four weeks, except when we skip when Randy comes, we're going to be uh, going back to a series that we called Hidden Treasures. I'm going to remind you, um, I'm going to move fast with a reminder. It was about a literary technique that the Hebrews, ancient Hebrews used. It was called a chiasm. And chiasm was a way that they wrote or told a story where they would take and they would create patterns within the story. Um, they would create a problem that you would stumble over and you would wonder why in the world is this is here. And as you're searching, you would find the pattern. And the pattern would be something like ABCD, DCBA, um, or ABC, ABC, that sort of thing. Um, and it could be a phrase, it could be numbers, it could be any, con any kind of thing like that. And uh, the point of it was not to change the meaning of the text. The point of a chiasm was to bury something at the center of that pattern that the writer or the storyteller wanted you to make sure you focused on. you got to talk about this. you got to think about this. you got to keep this in mind when you're in this section of Scripture. And if you miss this, you may be missing the point. And so it's there. It was part of the story, but I'm drawing your attention to this. And so we spent, we spent seven weeks looking at uh, different chiasms that happened because in Genesis 1 through 11, it's loaded. They're all over the place. In fact, uh, I think I'll be able to talk about this in week four of this series, but even Genesis 1 through 11, as a total, the chapters together are one big chiasm. It's so complicated. It's so complex that you would have to conclude that this was the most incredible writer who could have put this together. Maybe one inspired um, this sort of thing. It's that complicated. So this morning we're going to go back and I'm going to pick up kind of where we left off. And I want to take you to what has been traditionally a kid's story in, in early Genesis. It also happens to be one of the stories that is focused on um, when people undermine the faith of students. When they come to them and say, I think you should doubt what you believe and why. This story gets picked on a lot. And I don't know if, I don't know if you understand this. I don't know if you believe this or not. But there are people who are targeting your students. Uh, my wife is in graduate-level classes for counseling right now. She's going to a Christian university, but she has books that are nationally accredited that they're studying. And inside those books, she said, listen, Blair, this is, what it's, this is what it says I should do as a counselor. It's my job 
to unburden students from their parents' beliefs and myths. And she's being trained. Now, she's not going to obviously do that. But there's whole groups of people who are stepping into these things, believing that I've got to unwind what you've been teaching to your kids. And the story that we're going to talk about has become a focal point for that because of the way we've set it up. Because of the way that we have talked about it, the way we've communicated this story over the years. And so um, this morning, I'm going to stir the pot. All right? That's my wife. Doesn't mean anything. Um, and what I mean that is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something that's different than maybe you would expect. I'm going to try to present to you how somebody would talk to a student or a kid if they were trying to convince them to go the other way. And I'm going to try to do this in a neutral kind of way. I'm just going to give you the kind of information that they would give. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to also give some more because I think there's some stuff that's left out, and I want to do that. But the reason I want to approach it like this is that I, I've become convinced that when the moment comes, when somebody comes for the faith of your kid, I won't be there and you won't be there. And unless we can encourage them to think critically about the stuff that they're being told, they're going to be in a lot of trouble. So I want to use this story as kind of a jumping off point for that. And, um, and in doing so, I'm going, to, I'm going to ask for this. I'm going to ask that you give me two weeks. There's going to be opportunities for you to be upset along the way. Give me the full two weeks. L let, me, let me walk through this thing so that you can see where I'm fully going before you choose to get upset. Okay? And, and I, I think you'll see that it was worth the wait. That's what I believe. So I want to take you to a story that is not a children's story. I understand the appeal for it, right? It's got a very large boat. It has animals two by two. It's a very cool thing to, like, tell kids about, like, all of these animal things. But I want to read you the premise of this story. This is in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of human heart was only evil all the time. That's a big statement. Only evil all the time. We're coming back to that next week. Because um, that's pretty dramatic. And it actually, it's a start of some pretty important things. And we'll get to that. But um, that's the premise. And then this is the consequence of that premise. Verse 7. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created. And with them, the animals, the birds, the creatures that move along the ground. For I regret that I have made them. Oh, let's tell that to our kids. It's such a sweet story, right? It's not just that humans are targeted. Everything is. It's going to get wiped out. It's going to get creamed. Now listen, if the author's purpose was to write something into the text, that would disturb you and stop you and make you go, why is this here? 
they just did it. Because if you remember back this Genesis talk that we did for seven weeks, what we kept stumbling over and over and over again was that God, who was trying to introduce himself to a nation, was trying to differentiate himself between all these other small g gods that had been operating in the ancient world, was making a case that he was a good God. Do you remember Genesis? I'm gonna, we're just going to put it on the screen. Do you remember Genesis 1 and 2? I created all of this good stuff, and I put you in a good place. It was good. In chapter 3, you decided to elevate your desires above all else, and you deserved punishment. And so I sent you out of the garden, but even in doing so, I clothed you because I had compassion and love for you. Cain kills his brother. He deserves to have his life ended. And God shows him mercy instead by making him a wanderer on the earth. Over and over and over, the text points to a good God who was different than all the ancient gods. We have a genealogy in five, and then we get to six. And God suddenly seems to go, I'm going to be like all the other small G gods that you've known about. Wipe you out. I'm ticked. I'm angry. You're gone. And there, there ought to be some head scratching in that moment. And I think the question that should rise to the top, the key question if we want to understand what is going on here, why, 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 is this story here? Why? If God is making the case that he is good, why all of a sudden does this story show up in the text? Now here's what's interesting. There have been a lot of conversations about this question of why is this in the text? Two modern answers to this question. But in answering the question, they have subtly changed the question. And I, and I think it's tragic. And so I'm, I'm going to spend today addressing the change that's happened to this question, and I'm going to spend next week answering the question, why in the world is that story there? Why did God think it made sense to put that story as an introduction to how he was going to deal with mankind. That, that's important. But in the process of answering this question of why this story is here, it's kind of mutated. And the question has now boiled down between these two groups who answer this question very differently, and they answer this question, is this story real? And you're going to see how they answer, is this story real? They're going to say, well, that's why it's there. But I think it's possible that they've missed the point of why the story was there. And now we have this argument about why or if the story is even real. And so we're going to spend our time on that. And I want to give you the two main positions that are out there on this question right now. 
And they would say, we are answering why is this story here. The first modern conclusion to this um, is that people have said, the reason you find this story in the text, why it's there, is because it's history. God simply recorded events that happened, and your goal from this point on is to just connect with the facts as they are to accept them and to move on. It's, it's, it's just history. And they go further. They go a little further than that. They say, and if you don't accept that it's history, then you don't believe any of the Bible to be true, and maybe you're not really a follower of Jesus. And by the way, the people who are attacking this story know that we've said that, and that's exactly what they're trying to undermine. They're not attacking this story simply to attack this story. They are hoping that it unhinges everything else that goes with it. And so this is the one main. Now the second main modern way that this question has been answered, why is this story here, is people have said, well, it's there because it's an ancient creation myth. And by the way, um, people who are in that group, there are some Christians, there are some people who are definitely not followers of Jesus, and the only thing that binds them together is the idea it's a myth. They have very different reasons for why they think the story there, they have different reasons for all kinds of stuff, but I can loosely group them together in a group of people who say, I think that's a myth. And so you, you have um, one set of people who are stepping in forward and saying, listen, I think this is just um, a story that's been told, um, that's fanciful, can't be true. And then the other side is a group of people who are looking at it and saying, if you believe that, it's heresy. You're a heretic, and there's no place for you in our belief system with all of this. And so we have this stuff set up where the wrestling match begins. Um, can I just tell you, uh, I, I have been exposed to pieces of what I'm going to talk about over a long course of time. I heard these debates when I was in college. I had pieces added onto my plate when I realized there was more to the story in my 30s. I found more in my 40s that made me go, why in the world aren't we telling the whole story of this? This drives me nuts. And so this morning, that's what I'm going to try to do. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to you in a way that um, somebody would try to convince you of one side of this, but I'm, I'm going to go further than they go, and I'm going to give you the whole story. And at the end, I'm going to ask you to wrestle. Because it's exactly what I had to do, and I found benefit in it. The difference is, there's an opportunity for you to do that with other people. I was kind of alone, because I didn't think I could actually have these conversations with people about this stuff. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to introduce this for everybody to have conversations with. I think it's possible, and I hope that you will. Okay? I want to start by telling you an ancient Mesopotamian story. This story predates the scriptures um, by quite a bit. So this was out there being told before 
Israel was even conceived as a nation at this point. This story was being told. This story is about some small g gods who get angry. And they decide that the the destruction of mankind needs to happen. And so their plan is to flood the earth and kill everyone. A man in the story named Noah, N-O-A, looks at the stars and determines based on what he sees in the stars that the gods are planning to do this. And so he sets out to outsmart the gods and he builds a very large boat. And on that boat, he brings in all kinds of animals and the story records that water from below burst up and water from above fell down and the whole earth was flooded. But who was saved? Noah and his family on the ark. By the way, Noah's sons are named in the story. Sem, Jepeth, and Chep, right? If I got it close, you can see it there. Um, are you familiar with anything that I just said there? Have you heard it before from somewhere? Juggling around in it, right? What in the world is going on? Well, if, if I used a different word to describe Mesopotamian, I could use this, I could have used this cultural word too. Chaldean. Have you ever heard the word Chaldean before? If not, let me jog your memory. This is in Genesis chapter 11, verse 31. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. Abram grew up in a Chaldean culture, would have heard this story from when he was young to who knows when. Maybe even retold this story himself. And the argument goes like this, just a little bit. The argument goes, do you think that this story is unique to your faith? Because this story has been told way before your faith was even around. And in fact, I think I could make the case that you stole the story. That that you changed the story to add your cultural Christian leanings into it, but this story came from a different culture and a different time, from a group of people who didn't believe that it actually happened who taught that it was just a creation myth. But but you think that this story is unique to your faith, is something that is literal and accurate and true. And they make the case that kind of you'd be an idiot for believing something like this. Now there's more. They don't stop there. They would then look at the kid and say, I know you believe that this is recorded history, but that's going to be very difficult because the idea of that kind of writing, historical writing, didn't even exist. 
It didn't exist for thousands of years. It started around the time of David. It was made really popular by the Greeks who started rational thinking and thought it would be logical to write down facts as they happened and present facts. As rational people, they started doing that in a way, and historical kind of records started to become prevalent up to this point. In the ancient world, they told grand stories. It was just the, it, just the way it was. And so they would look at a student who said, I think this is just historical content, and they would say, that's odd. Either you believe this writing came from that time in history, or you don't. And if you accept that it came from that time in history, then it can't be historical writing. It didn't exist. So what are you doing believing this sort of thing? And they lay it out just like this. Number one, history wasn't even a category. What do you mean you believe it records a historical event? They would say, it's not even your story. I stole it. In fact, there were several ancient cultures that had this same story in them. And you just took it and repeated it. And because of that, there is nothing special about this story that you think is. It's not. It was common. It was normal in the time. And that's why it's in your text. And then they end with this kicker. If all of these things are true, you would be a fool to believe this story. And because of how we've set it up, if you're a fool to believe that story, you may be a fool to believe everything. And the student begins to wonder, I wonder if that pastor didn't tell me everything. What if that pastor is like a snake oil salesman? They made it look good, but left a lot of stuff out. Now, here's the thing. Part of my frustration with all of this is that um, I do think the church has done a terrible job in presenting all of this information, because whether you like it or not, historical literacy did not exist during that time. Whether you like it or not, that story shows up in the history of the Chaldeans, in the history of the Babylonians, and in the history of the Assyrians. It's in them. And many of them predated our story. So whether you like it or not, it's there, and we're going to have to deal with that. And so we haven't done a very good job, but I'll tell you what. Listen, friends. When people present what I just presented to you, they are not presenting the whole story, and they did it with an agenda. They had every intention of finding a way to undermine what you believed because they would have given you the whole story if this was the case. But I'd like to. Because the few stories, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, are not the only place you will find a, a worldwide flood destruction story. In fact... If you start looking at cultures around the globe, you will find an incredible number of flood stories with haunting similar storylines. In fact, I decided I wanted to show you a list. Um, th that's just Europe. This is in the Near East. 
This is in Africa. These are worldwide flood destruction stories that have made it into these cultures. Oh, there's more. Asia, into China, into the Philippines. By the way, these things have been found by anthropologists. They've been found by translators. They've been found by missionaries who've gone and talked to different groups. More! Yeah, Australia, Pacific Islands. We're going to hit every continent, by the way, just, just so you understand. North America. Yeah. Oh, more in North America. You realize this? These are indigenous groups all around the world who have a destructive flood story in them. South America. Now you have a couple you have a couple options here. Either the whole world is enamored with getting flooded out and killed by water, right? And maybe you could make the case that those who live by oceans or live by large um, lakes or whatever could experience that kind of flooding and have that as history. But I'd like to know where you think the indigenous groups who lived in Kansas and Arizona thought that they would get flooded out and yet had that story in their background. So you either have to conclude that as a universal truth, the world around had a dread of a universal flood story, or there's a second option. They call it historical cultural memory. Historical cultural memory. It comes when something happened, and so it worked its way into the stories that you tell as a culture. And the stories that you tell as a culture reflect this thing, and so they're told in different ways. Kind of like how it gets passed down as stories and stories. Have you ever played that game where you've whispered into somebody's ear and it gets down to the end and you started by saying, I'm going to give you a million dollars, and it ends up being, I'm going to kill Uncle Fred at the end, and you're like, how did this happen? Well, some of the stories vary and change by some of that, but there's actually been studies of, get this, 200 stories that they have found. 200 universal flood stories. And they've found some similarities. I'm going to put those up on the screen real quick. There we go. Can we think about this logically for just a minute? Have you ever been exposed to a different culture? I mean, this is easy if you travel outside of the U.S. But honestly, you could do this by going to the Appalachias, right? You could go on a mission trip to the Appalachias, and when you go down there, do you think the same way as the rest of those people? Do you have the same bent as, do you eat the same foods? Do you, do you have the same, like, flavor and art? You don't even say the same words the same way. And that's just in our country. You go to a different place where somebody has a different language. 
And there is so much that's different about us. There are even different standards for what is rude and not rude that, that take place in a cultural setting. And yet, would you find it odd if you went to a different cultural setting and you found that they were telling a story that had a lot of similarities and specificness to it and they were everything else was different about them? Would you think that was odd? What do you do when there are 200 of those scattered around the world? I mean, was it an organized effort to spread that story? Were there like Noah's story missionaries out there? Or did something else happen? Could there have been a real event where something definitely happened? And so it made it into the cultural memories and the storytelling of so many groups that it became just part of how they told things. And yeah, they might have gotten details different, but something was going on. So let's go back to the four things. Let's go back to the four things um, that they might have said to you. They might have said, <clears throat> okay, it's definitely not history. But could it be historical cultural memory? I, I think we could even go a step further as followers of Jesus and say, look, we believe this book was inspired by God, so could God be part of the one who was inspiring some accuracy to the text? I, I don't think that's necessary when you understand that this is spread out so, so much around the globe. You can go, I mean, you have to deal with this one way or the other. It might not be history, but could it be cultural historical history? You can say, look, it's not your story. No, it appears to be the world's story, and how did that happen? It, it appears to be just not something that we've talked about and we've had. It appears to be in, in the storytelling of indigenous groups all around the world, on every continent. It's not special, they've said. <laughs> Name another story. That's this wide told. You're not going to find it. Not from ancient times. Maybe you'd be a fool to believe that something didn't happen. See, this is the tension that you have to get caught with because some of this stuff, you know, it's, it's true. They, those stories were in ancient cultures. They were definitely in Abram's cultures before he became Abraham. But there's more to the story. And so here, here's what I want to leave with you. I want to leave you wrestling with each other about all of this information. Do you think it's a myth? Do you think it's not a myth? Why do you think that? I want you to have a conversation about this. Because right now, um, we have not thought critically about this. We've not had in-depth conversations. We've just said, stated, you accept it or else, and here are the consequences. And I hope that you'll have some conversations with each other. And ultimately, though, here, this is the shocking part. I think next week, if you came back, and there were people in here who answered the question on one side or the other, 
I still think it won't matter when I tell you why I think this story was there. You will not be able to escape the weight of why in the world that story is in there in the first place, even if you pick either side. Now, I have an opinion. I have an opinion, and I'll share it with you next week, of what I think has happened. And I think there's enough evidence to come to a conclusion. But I'm, I'm just telling you, when you understand all of that history, when you understand all of that background that's going on, and then you see what's emphasized in this story, it will warm your heart towards God, and it might not seem it right now, because the story starts off with, I'm going to wipe you all out. But the focus of this story changes. And the chiasms point to something that are going to excite you and make you go, I can't believe God put that story in there. It was such a gift. That's where we're headed. So you got some processing to do, and then I want you to come back next week, and we are going to tackle why is this story here? Why is it, is it real or not? You'll wrestle with that. We're going to ask why it was in there in the first place. Uh, band, as you're coming forward, I'm going to pray with you guys, and then um, we'll get going. Um, <clears throat> God, I, a different kind of Sunday, I know. Uh, but I ask that you would take uh, this stuff that we've been talking about, and you would generate conversations. That as people talk about you and uh, the stuff that you care about and value, that their hearts would become open to listening um, to your direction, because there's going to be some pretty cool stuff next week that you reveal in your text. So I just ask that um, you would allow the wrestling, you would allow the conversations, you would allow some space for people to think deeply about these, these things, and that you would lead us with wisdom to a place that honors you. Thank you for this incredible text, how it challenges us to seek you out, to think deeply about you. May you be central to our lives this week. In Jesus' name, amen.